Welcome, friends, to Church of the Geek, a podcast where we examine the intersection of the comic and the divine, where we call our women's circles the wisdom, and we call our building the White Tower. I am Brian Bennett, Lutheran Campus Pastor of Psalm at Pitt, Carnegie Mellon, Chatham, and Carlow Universities, and with me is my regular co-host, everyone's favorite Dragon Reborn hospice chaplain, Sam Blair. Sam, how are you doing? I'm not sure if that's a good thing. If... <laughs> The Dragon Reborn, it's, um, that's one of those things that's like, eh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that okay? I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. You're great. You're great. I'm great. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. So, yep, doing doing well. How about you? Um, I will be fine once the Spring of Deception is done. Uh, this has been, winter has been such a jerk. Winner has been such a jerk. You are not wrong. It's terrible. It's yesterday was what? 70 degrees. And today it's snowing and it's just being a jerk. Yeah. We're, we're all over the place. Yeah. March has come in like a lion and it is, has gone out like, like a rampaging Kaiju. Like I was thinking like a drunk uncle. No. Okay. That works. I think rampaging kaiju or drunk uncle are pretty pretty parallel. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's 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 been crazy. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait for real spring. My wife planted went and planted some peas. She's like, I hope the peas have enough sense to keep their heads <laughs> in the ground for the moment. Uh huh. So, yeah. Oi. Well, I, I do have to say, I've asked now, did today as we're recording this, this is April 1st. Did, did you play a joke on your wife for, or on your family for April Fool's Day or, and did they play one on you? I did not. I, I'm not good at April Fool's jokes. I, I'm terrible at them because I can't find the right blend of funny, but not cruel. Right. Mm-hmm. So nope, no, no April Fool's. Did you? I did not because I'm just, I'm not a good practical joker just to begin with. Right. Um, I can't think of anything that's like too original. And usually when I do, it's like three days after April Fool's Day. Right. But I do have to say that I, w- I was got very good today. Ooh, not say even, more. I, I will have to say this. Um, I usually like... Most of the time, I'm the one making dinner at home in the in the evening, and so I took out some chicken last night to thaw in the fridge. And uh, this afternoon, I went to take it out to start uh, start cooking, and I opened it up, and I immediately freaked out because it was in this pool of like bluish green gray stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I, how in the world did this turn in the freezer or within, in the past, you know, day? And I'm like, I'm smelling like, it doesn't smell bad, but it looks absolutely terrifying. And so I kind of put it, I was going to throw it out and I put it aside and I was like, no, I, I have to show this to Tannis because it is absolutely horrifying. And so I came home. Well, Spencer came home and I'm like, you have to go look at this chicken. It is, I don't know what happened to it, but it is absolutely disgusting. So he looked at it and was like, oh, whoa, that's really something. So Tannis came home and I'm, 
I already made dinner with some other chicken. And I said, I have to show you, this is, that is truly terrifying. You have to, I have no idea what happened to this. And she looked at it and she just started busting laughing. She had put blue food dye in the chicken, which over the, like with the chicken juice and all that had just kind of melded into this nice, weird color soup. And she, she, I w I was gotten good. I thought for sure I, I was going to poison the entire family. Wow. So Bravo Tannis. Yes. She, she laughed for a good about 10 minutes and Spencer was in on it and he didn't, he didn't say anything. So he, he played his part. He played his part. So usually Tannis is the one that's much more the practical joker. And like, but it's a lot, usually more innocent. Like last year she went and put googly eyes on everything in the refrigerator. Like absolutely everything. Amusing. Which, which, which was, which was amusing. We kept the, I think the, the googly eyes are still on the water dispenser just cause it's fun. Um, but this was a whole other level. And even she said, I did not expect the reaction that I got, <laughs> that she got. All right. But it's, it's still in the fridge. It's, it is truly terrifying, but it was, it was quite good. Mm-hmm. Very done. Ni- nicely done. Tennis. Yes. Nicely done. We are talking about uh, the wheel of time. Finally, the wheel of time is finally rotated around to us talking about it. Yeah, it's been a while since this has been been up. We we've both watched it and uh, had other things to talk about, and finally we had a little break to talk about the wheel of time. Yeah, we're in another we're in another section where we're getting some series that are starting, uh, and we want to see them all you know, to the end of a season before we talk about them. And so mm-hmm. now we going to go back and talk about the full season of uh, wheel of time, which, uh, did you read the books? I did not. I, I was not even, like I said, I'm not a big fantasy reader, so it was not right. something that I was, uh, you know, had crossed my path that I'm, I'm assuming you did. Uh, not until not all that long ago, sometime in the past, I think I was living in Morgantown when I started reading them. Although I might've been here in Pittsburgh too. Uh, so, I mean, sometime in the past, like 15 years. Okay. I, I wanted to know, like I've started reading them and I, I remember posting on Facebook. Why did nobody tell me about these? Right. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I had always sort of seen them, but I never heard anybody talk about them. And so I did pick up the, I did pick them up though. Uh, in ebook. And you have to be a big fantasy reader to read these. Because they are honking big. Robert Jordan just wrote long, 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 long books. It's not a surprise that they picked Brandon Sanderson to finish uh, the last three. Well, what Robert Jordan thought was one book ended mm-hmm. up being three more books, right? So now there's a total of 14 books in the series, one of which is a prequel wow. and all. But I am at like book four, like the halfway through book five. Let me say that before I had to put it down for a bit. Uh, someone I knew was joking. He's like 800 pages. And the only thing that happens is that Randall Thorpe changes his pants. You know, <laughs> sometimes you get bogged down in some of that stuff and uh, it's rough. Very much into the, into the deep end of, of the fantasy, the fantasy fiction world. Yeah. It's a, it's, there's a whole lot of description and things that are going on and, 
there's mm-hmm. so many characters and they're following them and yeah it's it's really uh, it's really challenging uh, to read through but the folks who do read through it are usually very uh, devoted by the end mm-hmm. which it which surprised me then because it it seemed to me not being familiar with the books obviously but it seemed like the series was really rather tight you had it it felt more kind of contained and uh constrained in terms of characters and plot and so on as opposed to like you know games of thrones or game of thrones or other you know things that we've that we've watched with a you know huge cast of characters i mean this still had a huge cast of characters but it really was so tightly focused on the 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 circle here and uh their journey that i didn't get lost very easily in it so which was which is which is great because if it if i get lost in with characters and plot lines and all that stuff it i have a hard time getting getting back i think the i think the important part is that they didn't try to make the first season the first book Mm. there's a whole lot of traveling that happens and that doesn't translate well in into into a a, a television series right know? so they did a i think they did a fine job in a lot of ways of the choices that they made and they made a few choice so they, they also made some really clear choices one they're going to make the characters older uh in the book they're more teenagers mm-hmm. you know still and so some of the stuff relationship wise isn't happening you know the stuff between rand and Egwene is not going on in the books Mm because it's clear in the series that, that they are sleeping together, but that's, Mm -hmm. that's clearly not the case in the books. Um, but okay. So they, they moved it a little older. Uh, they've, uh, they did that. They, they made some, uh, my understanding is, and I, cause I don't remember all of the details of books one, two, and three and what was in which book and where, but Mm -hmm. that the first season is basically the first two books and part of the third. Okay. So, so, you know, they really tried to compress and like streamline that story because there's even that one, there's even a a stage right in the, in the series er, within that first season where there's a clip, (laughs) basically time passes and, you know, (laughs) and and part of me was like, oh man, so much happens in that time passes bit, you know, Uh but it's all right. It's all right. But did it, did it, it didn't, did it detract though from the story? Uh, no, because you know, in a, in a book you need to tell. And I was just reading some stuff like about rules of plot writing for TV, which is show don't tell. Right. In a book, you get all of that exposition. You, you, you talk about that. You read through this and yeah, there's something that happens in the, in the book. It just, there would have been a, there would have had to have been a whole lot of exposition of that, of that time. You learn about the way of the leaf and, all that mm-hmm. good stuff. And so that's um, the tinkers and, and all that. So that's, that's a lot of that and how that goes. And yeah, Randall Thor keeps messing with magic and you mm-hmm. know, feeling like crap every time he's done with it because it's poisoning him, you know? So you get that. That was one thing I, I noticed that I missed, like that happened so much in the book, but there it is. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, um, I don't think it took away anything. I think they helped the story out a lot by 
streamlining it a great deal. Mm-hmm. And I think like you mentioned the, the, the travel portions. And I think, I think like it was interesting, the travel portions that they included were enough to build the characters and build their relationships. And uh, I thought that in itself was helpful. It was kind of like a nice way to, as we're progressing from here to there, here's what's going on in the characters. Here's what's going on between them and so on. Right. And, uh, and, and especially, you know, it was interesting with, you know, seeing the different groups that they're coming across the, uh, the, the troop, for example, the, um, that, uh, refused to, that refused to fight the, uh, the pacifist group. I can't yeah, remember. The way the leaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the way to leave. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coming across them and their, uh, their way of thinking versus uh, the way of the world and so on, I thought was, you know, very interesting. Indeed. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's definitely some really interesting things going on there. Uh, You got enough of what's going on with them to know Mm -hmm. what's happening. So we did not see so much of the, um, got the one group that is hunting down the Aes Sedai, Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and we saw the way they dealt with some of them, but not, those perhaps were the, the, the just existing on the periphery of the story, bringing uh, with one major encounter, but not a whole mm-hmm. lot of other stuff. So, but maybe that's best for them to sort of exist on the edge, uh, the periphery of the story so that we could uh, see more of that in the next season. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful. I, th- I think. Yeah. It's do done really well. Yeah. It was that exceeded my expectations for a Amazon show. Mm-hmm. Not all of the effects were great, but um, it was still pretty, and it was uh, it was done well. I, I mm-hmm. you know, all in all, I thought it was worth the time, even for folks my because my wife watched it too, and she hadn't read anything, and she she was uh, she was okay with it. She liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't. Uh, neither of us were thrilled about the end of the season. It felt very. And coming up next season, kind of yeah. just, I mean, they didn't even pretend to resolve things all that much. Yeah. It's like, okay, here we are. Yep. And it's going to continue. Okay. Thanks. Uh-huh. Fine. But yeah, there was a lot of, I thought there was a lot of good stuff that was going on though. Anyway, so it was good. It wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it was fine. It was, it was fun to watch. It was enjoyable. Um, it was a good escape, which I think you know, fantasy should, that's one of the, the great things about, you know, uh, that you get to kind of escape into a new world and uh, see how it works, see these, you know, relationships between different people and uh, the classes, the different uh, relationships that develop between the, the, the upper born and the lower born and, uh, you, know, you know, kind of see humanity encapsulated in small little bits of people. Yeah, we got a lot. There's a lot in there about um, class and the way uh, power is wielded. There's a lot to talk about in there. The the the, the struggle between uh, governments and the Aes Sedai. The, the you know what it says about women. How mm-hmm. we, how we engage that. So there was there's there's a lot in there to to really reflect on um, and think about. Mm-hmm. 
so I think the, the the big thing, right? That I mean, the general thrust of the story is that the Dragon Reborn is about to come. The Dragon Reborn, the a messianic figure that that comes uh, to uh, break the wheel of time, stop the cycle of fear and war and violence that just keeps rolling over and over and over again. And so the dragon is there. And at the beginning of the of the season, you've got uh, four possible. Uh, candidates who are that that dragon reborn Mm -hmm. and it it was kind of hard because in the i do think in the series they tried to build suspense who could it be who could it be right and and any of us who've read the book were like yep we know it's that guy (laughs) (laughs) that one right there it's him we know it i just so there was a moment though where part of me was like are they gonna change that are they gonna make someone else the dragon reborn so and and that's an interesting me coming in fresh to the to the series. The the idea of the Dragon Reborn was interesting to me because like you mentioned this is kind of a messiah figure, but at the same time it's also a figure that it seems like everyone is also afraid of and no one wants to be this this figure. Um there's kind of a very shadowy sense to it too. Um that it's this the that that the the dragon reborn could be a source of great evil or it can like you say break break the wheel and end the cycle of uh you know the death and rebirth that's that the world has been going through ever since right i guess i'm sorry there were five possible folks sorry um <laughs> I know we were going to get inundated with emails going, there were uh, five. <laughs> It'd be nice if we got inundated with emails. I wouldn't, I would not complain. We'll take it. Yeah, well, absolutely. If you want to write us, please do. Yes. Tell us so Tell- we, we messed it up. Maybe we should start throwing in errors all the t- every episode. and just Exactly. And just tick everyone off and then the, we'll just be full of hatred all the time. Right. You had, we had Matt, Perrin, Rand, Aguin, and Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. We have... <sighs> Crap, what did you say? Well, we were talking about the uh, the cyclic nature and whether oh, Dragon Reborn yeah, is, a, is a positive figure or a negative figure. Yeah, I think the Dragon Reborn, I think it's important. And again, I think this is the sense <sighs> within the book, the... My recollection of it, which I get, was has been a while ago. Mm-hmm. My recollection of it was the Dragon Reborn was at this at, at once a figure of hope because it would come and and defeat the great evil. However, it would also it was going to be a man, right? And because of this world, there only mm-hmm. women can wield magic because they have to touch the source, and that source will drive men mad. Mm-hmm. And so, and we do see how we do see some folks who that happens to the the false dragon, the false dragon, right? Exactly. Um, and so that's a that's a real challenge uh, in, in that scenario. But they are it is both at the same time, right? Because the person that believe is the dragon could could end up being the wrong one. So. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult uh, scenario, uh, mm-hmm. but they, they, I think they, I think they handle it uh, pretty well, keeping it together, 
you you want it and yet you got to be careful and cautious with it which defeating the dark one the, the whole issue with the the dark one to begin with was mm-hmm. a problem so it was that that encounter long long ago with the original dragon and and the dark one is what breaks the source for magic and mm-hmm. makes it a makes it a a threat for for everyone right and so the dragon the dragon reborn becomes a I do think I do think that's interesting. This notion that here's one who can save us, and yet at the same time poses, well, in this case, his very own kind of threat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know too many messianic figures where that is the the case, right? They have their own threat with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually, I mean. Uh- It'd be interesting to kind of do a review of some uh, different messianic figures to to look at. Um, well, I think maybe you can look at Shiva, who is both the creator and the destroyer, and maybe that's a kind of I don't know if you then necessarily a messianic figure, but certainly a figure that uh, has that kind of dual nature to to it, and seeing that cycle of creation and, and destruction and uh, seeing them as kind of two, you know, two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think there are certainly ones out there. I think Paul uh, Trades, Mudib in Dune mm-hmm. is one of those, uh, but a lot in the fantasy world, typically messiahs are all, all hope, no tension. Right. But it is interesting uh, that the very presence of a Messiah figure has, I think, inherently with it, it hope. And, and you lift it up in, in some of our previous stuff. Like, there is a cyclical nature of the world. And mm-hmm. how, how in that regard, what what's the nature of hope when you're just going to keep going through it and through it and through it? And yeah, it's that the idea that does a does a cyclic view of the world does that lead to a sense of hope or a sense of despair because on one hand and and you kind of see that in some of the the interactions with the folks with you know with in um wheel of time you know when someone when someone dies there's the sense but i'm going to see them again when the circle turn when the when the wheel turns and that when you die, you are going to be reborn. And so that is the nature of things. And there's a, so there's a sense of hope there, but then at the same time, there's also the sense of being trapped that yes, but all of the bad is going to be unleashed upon the world too, over and over and over again. Right. Uh, so, and, and it, you know, we have not, I want to say, say a similar, you know, thing in the, in the church, but you know, we do that. We have our own seasons and cycles in the church that happen the same way every year, you know, depending on how, how liturgical you are. But even if you're not high church, Easter is always going to come. Christmas is always going to come. Even, even you low church folk, even us low church folk have um, a cycle. Mm-hmm. Even the, uh, the annual, you know, giving message is going to come around every time, every yeah. time of year. And, yeah. you know, there are things that you, that you will know will, will come around again. Well, I've been thinking about this cause I think the, there's a, there's also another element that I think within the, 
the nature of apocalyptic literature, right? If we look at the book mm-hmm. of Revelation, there's not, I mean, I guess you can read Revelation as a straight timeline. Right. But I don't think so, right? We have mm-hmm. seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumpets. There's this constant um, cycle uh, in those in those chapters. We get, we get those first letters of those congregations, and then we get into this rhythm of this cycle that happens again and again and again. And I think there's a sense to understand that, that we have our own cycles within the world, not just time, but the way things uh, seem good and then get bad and seem good and get bad. And there's, and maybe it's mm-hmm. a, a spiral uh, as so that a little bit of linear time, but the time wrapping around that, that forward mm-hmm. thrust so that you just keep coming back to it and coming back to it, and coming back to it. Yeah. And we, you know, we'll see that too. Also, if there is a congregation that never deals with its dysfunction. Yeah. Right. Like they will repeat that cycle again and again and again and again until someone comes in and breaks it. And so it can mm. be hell if you're if you're in that cycle and it just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and you can't get out. But I do think there's a sense of liberation when that finally breaks. So I'm I'm of the sense that in this scenario, the continued hope for the breaking of the cycle you know, is the thing that brings hope. And that's where the, mm-hmm. that's where the Messiah comes in. It's where the dragon yeah. reborn comes in. So, and, and, and at the same time, that can also bring a great deal of anxiety and ambivalence because what, what's going to happen when the cycle is broken? If, if you have a cycle, if you have a, if you know what's coming up next, even if it's bad, you know, what's coming up next. Right. But when the cycle changes, you don't have anything to, you know, what you don't have anything to base what is going forward. You can only look, you can only look backward, but then, you know, the, the future is now uncertain, even if it can be better, um, which it, you know, this, which is why some people return to bad situations because, the the choice of making a making a change in one's life even if it's a positive change is tremendously anxiety provoking if you don't know what's coming after that if if i know what's coming even you know do i do i choose the devil i know or the devil i don't right absolutely <laughs> absolutely so, yeah. you learn because people who live in systems that are like that learn how to navigate that it's and mm-hmm. it, typically the conflict happens when you bring new people into it. Yes, because our our uh, I had a seminary professor teaching pastoral care talking about it's like changing seats in a canoe. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, everybody knows, right? Who everybody in who has grown up is has dealt with the system, knows the cyclical nature, knows how to sort of walk through it. Hmm everybody knows how, where they're supposed to sit in the, in the canoe. Mm-hmm. New person comes in and wants to get a seat, but that's that they, they can't sit there. Cause that's where Joe sits. You got to sit over there. You got to do this. And so it, it adds stress to the system. It, it, right. The, you know, the system wants to be in homeostasis and you just, which like a right. s- system of equilibrium, 
um, and you'll put up with folks because it maintains order. Right. You know, even if they're, if people are being real jerks, mm-hmm. um, but instead come through, you have this rocking, everything cause everybody tips over. Everybody, everybody finds new seats. You know, that's sometimes it's the only way to deal with that nature. Cause otherwise you just keep coming back to it again and again and again. Right. Which, which going back to, to the Messiah, you know, uh, figure, discussion and Mm. the Messiah as the person that can break that cycle in either direction. I mean, that's such a picture of Christ in, in his time is someone who entered into the cycle of, uh, of the time, not of, of worship of how they viewed God and their relationship with God. And, and not only the relationship with, with, God, but with with each other, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and flip that system on its head. You know, right. the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And uh, mo- a lot of Jesus's teachings were about you know reversal was a main was a main theme of right of everything. The, the kingdom of God is inverted, <laughs> U- upending all of the yes. all the systems of power. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is a wonderful and a terrifying thing. Yeah. Well, you know, when Luther wanted to get rid of the book of Revelation, mm. if it were up to him, he would have struck it from the canon. Uh, but he didn't just because he knew it wasn't up to him. But he didn't like it because that for him, that image of of the returning Christ brought a great deal of uh, anxiety for him because the the picture of Christ returning with the the sword coming out of his mouth, right? Like he, mm-hmm. that was not the image that, that Luther had of, of, uh, of Jesus in, in the return. And so that, that was one of law, not of gospel for him. And so that was, mm-hmm. um, that was a place that brought a lot of, a lot of anxiety and I get it. That's mm-hmm. really, really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Image. Yeah. Those, the holding those two things together, but, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was, uh, that you know that was Luther's own problem. He had a he had a really difficult time to think about uh, thinking about a God of grace, and yet here's the law. You know the law kills. It's the gospel that raises us to new life. And what does that mean? And so uh, maybe he couldn't hear it in that regard, but he heard it. Uh, he heard it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean the, the the book of Revelation is is so frame or not not necessarily frame but there there are so many pictures in there of conflicting images of the same thing especially you know of of christ the um the the lamb who was slain who also his uh robe is bathed in blood and (laughs) yeah and comes forth to you know comes forth to you know, to conquer as king of king and lord of lords and you know it's it's these two images that don't marry well together they seem totally in in conflict but yet here you are show us the the lion of judah wait it's a it's a lamb wait, yes what yeah mm-hmm. no right there's yeah absolutely it's just in, in that be- it's that beginning section where christ returns you know that it was it was freaking them out. So mm-hmm. I do think we get a great deal of, of human experience and lives and concerns 
we see uh, Perrin. Um, and yeah, if you haven't watched it, sorry, spoilers. Uh, we didn't we didn't give that announcement, but there it is. Uh, we watch Perrin kill his wife. Mm-hmm. Right in the in the midst of of battles with the Trollocs and the uh, attacking the 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 village. You know, he whips around and swings at what he thinks is a is an invader, and it's his wife, and he kills his wife, and he has to deal with that immense mm-hmm. grief and uh, guilt and shame mm-hmm. with that, and he doesn't talk about it. Hey, maybe talk about it, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I just want to go like, okay, when do we? Maybe, maybe do we never learn that it's better? It's better to talk about it with people <laughs> rather than stuff it down inside and not talk about it. And yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a, maybe that's the human existence we have to do. Right. But we see the, we see, we see the relationship between Rand and Egwene. And, um, we watch the, the burgeoning relationship between Nynaeve and Lan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so. And even the, the relationship between Lan and, and Moraine, I think is so interesting. It, it's very much there. Uh, you can't not call it a loving relationship, but it it's one sort of of a knight and his his maiden. Um, yeah, although it's also very clear, we see very, it's very clear that uh, it is unlike the mold that other right. Aes Sedai follow. You know, where they have their keepers. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, they 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 are in a relationship. But Lan and, Lan and Moraine don't have a, have a relationship because we find out why that uh, Moraine is having a, a is in a relationship with the Amirlin seat, the head of the Aes Sedai, who's not supposed to have any relationships and it could pose problems. And uh, mm-hmm. if you know if the boss is in uh, is in love with someone else, I mean, there's some real human instances. There are some human. Uh, complication complicating factors in there Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. life is complicated yeah but i did i did think that the the relationship between moraine and lan is a really great vision of something other than in a lot of circles of christianity the the notion that men and women can't be friends right they can't have a a deeply Mm -hmm. meaningful but ultimately platonic relationship right Mm -hmm. so we get the we get the billy graham rule and we get uh, just really a lot of other scenarios that exist uh, mm-hmm. that women get left out of because yeah. the underlying belief is either men can't control themselves or men and women just, uh, it is incompatible because there's only one thing that men and women can do together. Mm-hmm. So I I appreciated that because you can definitely tell there is a great deal, great bond between uh, Lan and Moraine. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think too, now that you know, mentioning the, that relationship, it was one where they both felt, it felt very balanced. And yeah. mm-hmm. that was, that was something that I noticed in the relationships. It's kind of broadly written in the, in the series regarding how women and men men related i mean w- women were very feminine but they were also very strong and they were very powerful they were the ones who could t- touch the one power and wield the one power the the men were 
strong, they were hardworking, but they at the same time could not. So there was this, I thought it was a really interesting and sort of picture of male and female as complimenting, I have to not going to say complementarian. I'll get me. Don't do that. I'm going to jump on you if you do. Exactly. But, but they definitely in this, in the way it's here, they complement one each other, one another very well in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses. And when they sort of work together in, in that ways. And I think Lan and, uh, Moraine as kind of a prime example of that, you know, how that, how that works and how that can be one, like you say, that's platonic um, and not necessarily one that is just based on sexual power dynamics for lack of a better word. (laughs) Although the relation between Moraine and Lan, absolutely. That's on that footing. The relationship, though, between the Aes Sedai and the rest of the world, there is definitely a distrust of them. Yeah. So, in in that regard, in relationship to those to that relationship, that relationship of Moraine and and Lan, yes, there's a lot of equal footing. There's a lot of uh, deep connection. It's a real rich relationship. No one is. I mean, in a sense, Moraine has some power over land but at the same time there's a real give and take back and forth between the two mm-hmm. you know but but yeah many, my, many folk in the world right fear the Aes Sedai because of their right. power and that means that there's a lot of fear of women although mm-hmm. then you know they're cool with their village wisdom mm-hmm. that in the in the Twin Rivers scenes you know so mm-hmm. so two rivers Twin River two rivers but so it's not perfect, but it does it does portray uh, women who are wonderfully capable, who are strong, uh, who love, who are not looking, you know, necessarily at overpowering and, and dominating others. Mm-hmm. Um, unless in the midst of their office, they have to in, in, use their powers to do that, such as like with the false dragon. Right there. They had to keep that quell down, going so far as to separate him from the font of magic. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, which was devastating. You could tell they, they, they hated it. They, they knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. That was terrible. Mm-hmm. So. But usually in, in fantasy literature, at least in my experience, it's a, it's a very unbalanced dynamic. Usually. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, wasn't that a, a criticism of, of, uh, Reardon, the, the author? Jordan. Jordan, I was going to say. I was, Reardon I was, was uh, Percy Jackson. Oh, okay, that's it. Yeah. Of, of Jordan of Jordan, in terms of his his writing when this initially came out, just in, like I was reading some some critique of, of the books, and that was one of the things that I guess yes. he really got hit pretty hard on because he painted a world that was very... Um, very sort of, you know, women were hypersexualized, the men were hypermasculine, and you know, it was very much appealing to a partly, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, no, I, I look, that's you, you definitely say more of, than that. Yeah. Definitely part of that. 
that exists in there. But also it's just the way Jordan wrote, he wrote like a man writing about women, right? Yeah. So like if I'm writing something and I go, Sam crossed his arms. Mm-hmm. Like we all understand what you're doing there. And routinely in Wheel of Time, it's an Aguin crossed her arms under her bosom. Like, mm-hmm. well, do you have to add the under the bosom part? Like, right. that's not, <laughs> do you, we get what happens when people cross their arms. We we know where their arms are. It's, it's up in the chest area. You don't need to say that. Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, so in a sense, it's Jordan wrote the book. <laughs> like a man writing about women. It's in, just, in, in, in its time. It is a, is a it's very much a, I guess a, a, a slice of its time. Right. And, and at the same time, right. There are, there are ways of seeing women in power that were, that reshaped a, the way a lot of folks understood things. Mm-hmm. So it's not perfect, but it's, it's good. It's important to know the flaws that are in the book, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't necessarily see those in the, those same sort of flaws in mm-hmm. the series. So that was good. Mm-hmm. But overall, I did like the, the themes of, of balance of uh, not only balance in, in relationships and, you know, reciprocity in relationships and, uh, and that, but, you know, balance in the world and the, looking at the, the cyclic nature of the world that we, that we often see and, uh, and the, and the challenges that come from that and the possibilities that come from that. And I think also, you know, this, the challenges of who am I and what am I doing? And am I mm-hmm. this person who might be the, the dragon reborn? And what does that mean if I am, what does it mean if I'm not? <laughs> right. So yeah, there's a lot to, to, to kind of draw from it. Yep. Absolutely. There's a good questions there of, uh, you know, do I have a part to play? Do I, you know, Mm -hmm. what, or what is my part to play? Um, what will this, what will this mean for others? How does this, how does this all tie together? And we'll see that all come together uh, throughout the, hopefully the next few seasons. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm, I totally believe there's another season already on the docket, but, I think it'll take more than one more season to hit 14 books. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's very good. It's uh it was uh worthwhile. Um check it out if you haven't and uh if you have, let us know what you think. So, mm-hmm. Sam, what are you geeking out about, my friend? Well, let's see. Um after watching um The Batman, I decided to uh speed read through the court of owls, the whole entire thing, mm. court of owls and city of owls. Cause I hadn't read that before. Yeah. That was really good. And, Excellent. uh, it's on my list now. Thank you. It, yeah. It's, it was one of those ones that I kept on seeing. It's like, Oh, if you, if you dig Batman or if you dig comics, you need to read this cause it's really well done. And yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, really interesting story. Um, but I'm also digging, digging moon Knight, which, uh, caught the first episode last yep. night and that, that, uh, that, that, don't say anything i haven't watched it yet yep. Shh. oscar isaacs kills it yeah that's all i will say he's great he's great yeah he was he it's he's surprisingly good i mean i shouldn't be surprised but it's still surprisingly good yeah excellent 
He's better in here than he is in Age of Apocalypse. Which is not hard to beat. Wait, what what role was he? Was he Apocalypse? He was Apocalypse in the X-Men Age of Apocalypse. Who, ca- who cast Oscar Isaac? No, who knows? No who wonder knows? he was only five foot eight. Exactly. Apocalypse is supposed to be like eight feet tall. And- He's supposed to be, yeah. That that was a goof. <laughs> that was such a goof. Really? You couldn't get him a pair of lifts? Come on, people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize he was Apocalypse. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Because that was something that came out well after um, uh, The Force Awakens. And they were talking about Oscar Isaacs as Poe Dameron, and everyone was like, oh, he's such a you know great actor. And then he said, yeah, he was previously, he previously played Apocalypse. And everyone was like, what? No kidding. Mm. He's all buried under all that makeup in a movie that was bad, you know bad so boy that's a that's a good next time sometime there we have a uh another break and stuff we should we should rewatch the the x-men movies oh deal with them oh man because there's some really good ones there are some there are some good ones wow i know you took the word really away i took the word really away there are that's a clear choice there are certainly ones that are better than others <laughs> hmm, okay. Yeah, I, I will. I will leave it at that. Alrighty. There are some that are good. There are some that are better than others. Then there are some that are make no sense at all. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, so what are you geeking out about? You know, maybe it was just contagious because after the Batman. I have returned to a number of Batman. I went back and I, I had not read it, but I read Batman year one. Oh yeah. Four, four issues by Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Definitely had some, uh, uh, influence over the Batman. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, it was very good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I always wonder about Frank Miller cause Frank Miller is a weird dude, man. So He's a weird dude. And he, you know, He's not always the most um, open-minded. So (laughs) you never know, but he can write a good comic, wrote a good Batman comic. I had been playing uh, Arkham City on uh, Mm -hmm. Xbox 360, and I haven't touched it since last summer. And so I finally, I'm back at that, chipping away at it a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Work on my way to save Batman. Or have Batman save himself for mm-hmm. however that goes. And I started watching Batman the Animated Series. Again, oh, I went back. Oh, okay. I was going to say, have you not seen that? I have seen, I've seen lots of yeah, it. It's been a long time, I know, since I've seen it. Yeah. It's been a very long time. I'm going back to watch it. And I think Batman Animated Series Batman might be my favorite. It is really good. It's, I, I remember when that came out, you know, watching that as a kid. And it's like, it was just enthralling. I mean, when you're used to Saturday morning cartoons and GI Joe and Cobra shooting at each other. And, but it's, it's dark and gritty, but it's not like, it's not depressing. It's not depressing. It's not depressing. And the visual style was so completely different than anything that came before it and, and set the whole tone for the DC animated universe afterwards. Right. I am Tim. in love with the the style, the music, 
the mm-hmm. writing is so tight that it's a it's a they're 22 minute episodes and they kept a minute long intro mm-hmm. like that that intro is a minute long mm-hmm. so they're basically running a 21 minute story they are tight they aren't but they don't skimp on things they don't lead us to make us do a massive leap of uh, at least so far in what I have been watching rewatching that's so good mm-hmm. just <clears throat> I love it a great deal so totally geeking out on that love that I get to watch that over again glad I have mm-hmm. the ability to do that it w- it was interesting whenever like my, my son Taylor finally got to see the Batman and we were talking about it and, and how much he liked it and I and I, he and I were having this text conversation back and forth. I was like, you need to, you need to understand where we were when I was like eight, 10 years old and what in the Batman that we had, <laughs> that we grew, you know, we grew up with Adam West and which is a then, perfectly valid Batman is perfectly valid Batman. But then, um, it turns this wild corner into Michael Keaton and Batman and then Batman, the animated series and, and everything like that. It's like, it could have been so much different. Um, but yeah, well, right. Because we had Adam West, then we had Batman on super friends, right? Mm-hmm. You get Batman on Scooby doo. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yep. So, getting the Batman in 1989 and then, you know, after that stuff, Batman, the animated series, mm-hmm. you know, and I always think they don't, the Superman animated series never survives the way Batman, the animated series does. Yeah. And that's, I, I watched both of them, but Superman just did not have the same kind of grab as Batman did. Batman's better. Yep. Batman is superior to Superman. I've said it again and again and again. Batman is best. Anyway, I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> we're, we're going to go twice as long talking about Batman in this episode on Wheel of Time. Again. Uh, so we love Batman. I am headed to, I'm also headed to see Morbius tomorrow. Ooh, okay. Have to hear about that. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll have to hear about it because if I come back and I never mention it again, we'll know. <laughs> <laughs> We shall not discuss this. All right. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of church of the geek. Connect with us on Twitter at geek church or email us at geek church one. That's geek church. The number one at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and what you thought about wheel of time. Uh, what did, what do you think? What do we forget? Uh, what do we get wrong? What theme do you think we really needed to lift up on this mm-hmm. one? Uh, let us know if you have a prayer request and uh, everyone, please stay safe as we continue on through the pandemic, trust in God, wear a mask, get vaccinated and boosted. And as always geek be with you and also with you.